distinct drama, fresh and original. Generation Games, a series of comedy and drama monologues and duologues uniting the ages. Wrong Side Out by Janice Fryatt. Starring Gene Rogers and Janice Fryatt. I was busy smoothing over me decorator for the fourth time this week when the phone rang and it was my mother for the fifth time this week. And it's only Monday. I said, can't it wait? I've got laughing boy here. That's what I call the decorator. And he needs soothing with a four-finger Kit Kat. She said, what's happened now? You never did know how to handle a man. If you had, you wouldn't be on your third husband at 55. I said, I'll have to call you back. I can't afford to have him walking off the job, leaving me with me downspouts dangling. And she retorted, well, don't call me when the chase is on. It's the dark destroyer today. Number 40, it's going to be naughty. It can be naughty with me any day of the week. Cackled and put the phone down. The Kit Kat, a mug of Yorkshire tea and a bit of flirting did the trick with the decorator even though it's not PC these days. So I thought I'd better ring her back and find out what today's drama was. Only when I did, she said, I got the wrong number and I should dial again. I said, stop playing silly beggars. It's me, your daughter, Julie. But she hung up. I was fed up, to be honest. So I left it at that. I got enough on my plate, what with a needy decorator dogging me every move and Doug's dinner to get on without playing guess who with me mum on the phone. So I went back to my office and stared at a blank screen hoping to do some work before the day slipped away completely but I couldn't concentrate. She was becoming more of a worry. Every day started with a phone call or an ambiguous even downright worrying email. I suppose it was good she could manage email at the age of 82, but she was like those people on Facebook who do tantalising posts that suggest imminent death and disaster in order to get the attention they crave. Mum usually perked up at the promise of a quick visit with a cream puff. Oh, a naughty cake, she would exclaim. I don't usually, but just this once. Or there would be a shopping list with three items on it every couple of days, I tried to get her to make a weekly list so I could buy for her alongside my own supermarket shop, but she never did. I guess it wasn't about the shopping. It was about the company. I kept suggesting she use a delivery service, but she said she didn't trust the internet. I don't want to get catfished, she said. I didn't ask. Not only are the shopping requests becoming more frequent, but she keeps asking me to get her money from the cash machine as well, which, as far as I can tell, is so she can pay me for the shopping and her cleaner for sitting having tea and biscuits and a good chinwag with her. By the look of the house, there's precious little cleaning getting done. She doesn't seem to go anywhere and no longer speaks of long lunches with her girlfriends while putting the world to rights, but rather of cancellations either by them, 
for what she terms feeble reasons like having a foot amputated or by her because I just didn't feel like it. Apart from requests for naughty cakes, fruit is often on the list. I like oranges, she told me, but I don't really like bananas. Only that bossy health visitor said I should have them. And nuts. She showed me where this had been scribbled on the bottom of a leaflet entitled Staying in Control When You're Older. And I said, it's probably medical secret code for your mental state. You know, nuts and bananas. (laughs) She tried to look offended, but there was a glimmer of amused pride in her eyes and a bit of a smirk. She'd always been one to book the trend a bit whilst still appearing to conform to middle-class ways. My mum's latest car is a Fiesta, which is a bit of a come-down after the BMW she'd been used to, but it doesn't seem to get a run out very often these days. A couple of years ago, she was stopped by a young male policeman after she jumped a red light. She claimed he'd let her off a fine because she'd batted her eyelashes at him. (laughs) She'd been a stunner in a day and just carried on as though she had a painting of an old lady in the attic. I wasn't sure I believed her story. Or that she believed it either, but there'd been no getting away from the fact that last year she wrote off her beloved BMW by going into the back of a Corsa at some temporary light she hadn't noticed. Well, they're not normally there, she said. How was I to know? What car should I buy now? A mobility scooter, I said, then had to duck as the nuts and bananas came my way. Well, you wrote off the BMW, I retorted. I didn't write it off. It was just going to cost more to put it right than it was worth. I just cracked one of the nuts and went and put the cattle on. Last week, I got a panicky phone call from my younger sister, Lynn. She was making one of her rare visits to see Mum, a major expedition that entailed organising her husband, teenage son, two dogs and high-flying job as a lingerie buyer for a big department store in Wolverhampton. Mum was always boasting about her favourite daughter to me, holding her up as a success while I was just an aspiring poet which wasn't a proper job. I preferred to describe Lynn as being big in ladies' underwear. Only she isn't, because she has an enviably slim figure from all that dog walking. Anyway, seeing as Lynn was coming to visit Mum, I gave myself a day off and went to have my nails done. They were drying when she called, so I wasn't best pleased. At first I thought it might actually be Mum, because she has an uncanny knack of picking a bad time to ring. And calling her has become more haphazard as she either doesn't answer, so I have to go and check she's okay, or she says I've got the wrong number and hangs up, so I still have to go and check she's okay. I usually find her quite perky, chomping on a bar of fruit and nut immersed in one of her soaps, or watching the chase, of course. I had to get Shakira, the nail girl, to answer my phone and put Lynn on speaker because I didn't have a hand free. My sister was barely coherent, The gist was she was getting no answer at Mum's front door and her key wouldn't work because the bolts were still on from the night before. I said, have you tried round the back? And Lynn said something about the garden gate being bolted too so she couldn't get round the back. So I said, she must be okay or we we would have heard. She's got that personal alarm round her neck. This was a bit of a sore point because she hadn't told me about the alarm 
She'd only told Lynn on her last visit and kept it from me. This is what she does. Divide and rule. Tells us different things so neither of us get the full picture. Then denies the difficult stuff and rewrites her stories, making out we've remembered wrongly. Like the time she told me about getting threatening phone calls to recover a parking fine, but told Lynn I'd made it up and it was just junk calls and she'd told him where to go. Anyway, she'd come unstuck because she'd put me down as next of kin when she got the alarm. So I got a letter from the council giving me all the gen and a breakdown of the cost of it. I haven't let on to her that I knew, but I noticed she's never wearing the alarm whenever I go to see her. In fact, it's never in view. I assume she wears it at night or when she's not expecting any visitors. We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little you mean? Yeah, yeah, we all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying to oh, yeah, I'm trying yeah. I'm trying, oh, yeah. trying, trying to get them on there. Yeah. yeah. Damn, me, me, yo, look, 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 look. We all artists, man. We go you feel me? We gonna have this like Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kai, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit right now. I got lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I got lie, play don't it, play with it. No. Take that shit serious. But who knows? The front room curtains are still shut. Lynn said, "Shall I call the police?" Oh, was the drama queen? I said, "Have you tried shouting through the letterbox or knocking on the window? She's probably got the telly turned up in the back." The wrestling's on now. Try that and give me a ring back. I heard the beep of Lynn's phone as she killed the call and turned my attention back to my nails, which were a lovely shade of green and just about to dry enough for me to pay up and leave the salon. Driving away from the nail bar, I thought about all the times I'd tentatively tried to get Mum to consider moving out of the large four-bedroom family home and live somewhere smaller and more manageable, only she wouldn't hear of it. It will break my heart, she said. All my memories are here. The only way I'll leave is feet first. I hope that day wasn't today. But something didn't add up. I knew Mum's habits. She always undid the bolts when she came downstairs in the morning because the milk was delivered to the front and she never left the lounge curtains shut. It was a matter of pride. In my day, she was fond of saying, people only left the curtain shut if someone had died. I felt a shiver go through me. I took a right turn and headed towards her house thinking, I'll meet Lynn there and we'll have a cuppa together and a naughty cake and Mum will make an annoying remark about Lynn's success in balcony bras and start metaphorically killing the fatted calf for her and I'll go home irritated. But all will be well. I sometimes wonder why I bothered having children. I suppose we didn't really think about it in my day. It just happened. Or it didn't. The confetti would barely be swept up before someone, usually your mother or an auntie, would ask when to expect the patter of tiny feet. <laughs> but woe but I do if you already had one on the way. 
That showed what sort of girl you were. No better than she ought to be, was a phrase. <laughs> of course, Julie was in the family way for two out of her three weddings. Not Lynn, though. Poor girl, she had to try hard to fall pregnant. Had to have a bit of a help from the doctors in the end. Probably why she only had one. Our gorgeous jewel. Almost a man now. <laughs> of course, these days, no one bothers about all that. Girls have babies married or not. <laughs> Some of them have them just to get benefits. Some of those lesbians just find some man to do the business or donate their, um, well, you know. Oh, I can't say it. <laughs> Seeds. <laughs> oh, there's no shame these days. My second cousin's daughters all got married after they'd had kids. Had their own kids as bridesmaids and page boys. <laughs> got married when they'd saved up for a big do with chocolate fountains and fireworks and doves, like celebrities in Hello magazine. <laughs> I blame Posh Spice. Oh, I feel sorry for my friends who didn't get grandchildren till they were in their 70s. Young folk today seem to want to extend their teenage years as long as possible, having careers, gallivanting abroad, going to nightclubs. It's not ladylike. They have no thought for their parents. As a grandparent, you want to be young enough to be able to play with the kids a bit and have a chance of winning a glamorous granny contest <laughs> like I did in my bear. <laughs> 1992. <laughs> At least Julie blessed me with our Charlotte before I hit 50 even if she did do it in the wrong way round. But then, she always did do everything back to front. I remember when she was little. If there was a wrong way to do something, Julie would find it. Sometimes she just got out of bed in that mood and got herself in a pickle. I used to tell her she was wrong side out. <laughs> yeah. That was a phrase my granny used. Lynn was easier to handle, placid, and she did as she was told most of the time. Different kettle of fish, our Lynn. Though I was sad she never came back home after university, settled down in a village in Staffordshire. Still, she had a career to think of, and now lovely Joel with his high cheekbones and curly hair. Oh, always smartly dressed, dapper. <laughs> My mother said you were selfish if you didn't have kids. But then she also said you should have children so they could look after you in your old age. So I'm not sure who was being selfish, really. She certainly had me at her beck and call till the day she died. But my daughters don't bother. Put themselves first. Wash out, really. I, I can't understand it with my Lynn. She lives away, has her high-flying job, her executive husband, big house, big garden, hot tub, the lot. Julie makes fun of her, saying she's a 
big in ladies' underwear. But of course, she's just jealous. She could have had a decent career, Julie, but no, she got married at 20 the first time. Of course, she was pregnant, did I say? <laughs> Dropped out of teacher training college. That's a good job for a woman, teaching. You get the same short hours and long holidays as your kids. But it didn't stop there, oh no. Another baby girl with husband number one. Then she upped and left him and had another girl with number two when she was getting on a bit, nearly 40. <laughs> now, she wants to be a poet. What sort of job's that? And after we'd sent her to a decent grammar school. <laughs> oh, she does her best, I suppose. But she probably thinks she has to look in on me as she lives nearby. I always feel it's grudging, though, as if she'd rather be doing something else other than helping me, her mother, who gave her life. Julie's always trying to get me into her home. Probably to make life easier for her. But there's no way I'm leaving this house. All my memories are here. I've lived here 45 years now, since the girls were in primary school. Moved in when Jim got promoted to chief accountant. We went up in the world in 1974. Look, Betty, he said, we've arrived. Oh, and we had good schools, lovely park at the end of the road, a nice class of people for neighbours. This town is quite select. I've lived here all my life, but it only started to go downhill when we had some undesirables moving in a few years ago. Not round here, of course, the other side of town. Oh, I don't go there these days. Lynn never tries to get me to move out of my house. You're doing well, Mum, she says. You're an independent woman. <laughs> oh, she understands me, you see, like Jim did. Oh, I do miss him. Five years now. But you have to move on, don't you? <laughs> independent. That's right. I am. I get that from my granny. She was ahead of her time, upped and left her husband, my granddad, I suppose, though I never knew him, and her daughter, my mum, who was only 12 at the time. She went to be a nurse in London in World War I. Marched with the suffragettes as well, she did, and mixed with musical stars. <laughs> Came back up north ten years later with a new husband, so it was him I knew as my granddad. And they ran a pub. Oh, oh, I used to love dipping my fingers in the slops tray and licking them. My mum told me off, but Granny never did. Oh, I adored her. She had tales to tell. <laughs> she was always moving house, like a gypsy she was. Exotic. She was ahead of her time and she'd have no truck with the softies of today. What are they called? Um, 
Well, snowflakes, that's right. <laughs> My granny lived through two world wars and the Spanish flu, though you don't hear much about that these days. She was fierce and you didn't cross her. And she spoke in plain English. Well, plain Yorkshire. And sometimes she was a bit common, really, I suppose, looking back. <laughs> oh, but I loved it when she said stuff like, we didn't have a pot to piss in. <laughs> when I was little, I didn't know what that meant. I just knew it was a bit rude. <laughs> oh, I idolised my tiny, intrepid granny. My Jim always said I was very much like her. So there's no way I am going into a home. Julie can go jump. I got a leaflet from the bossy health visitor about staying in my own home, staying in control. Like Brexit. Mrs Thatcher would have got Brexit done properly. <laughs> Want a job doing? Ask a busy woman, that's what I say. That Boris couldn't even manage to brush his own hair properly. I have my own routine and that works for me. I'm not a morning person and don't get downstairs much before ten these days. Good job I have a tease made in the bedroom. Everyone knows not to make appointments with me before eleven. They all know. My hairdresser, nail girl, the doctor, Carol, my cleaner. Oh, she's a lovely girl. I say girl, she's probably as old as Julie, but she's better at chatting. Makes a great cuppa and brings me naughty cakes. <laughs> I keep shtum about that so Julie doesn't tell me off. I'm borderline diabetic, apparently, but they must have got that wrong because I don't have many sweet things and I like my oranges. I'm not sure Carol does a lot of cleaning, really, but she cheers me up and that's a service in itself. Most weeks I give her a bit extra because I know she struggles to make ends meet and her husband keeps her short. I don't put the telly on during the day. I think people who have the telly on all day are a bit common. It goes on at five for the chase. Sean is my favourite. I know people say he's a bit miserable, but I think he's got a kind face. And we all need a bit of kindness, as I keep telling Julie. I go and get my dinner while the news is on, because it's always depressing. Then I'm set up, ready for my soaps. I used to go out for long lunches with my girlfriends, putting the world to rights. The portions they give these days are massive, way too big for me. I eat like a bird, but I always leave room for a pudding. <laughs> then I'd get home in time for a cup of tea and a doze before my programme start. Haven't been out for a while now. Sometimes my friends let me down, cancelling if they have to see the doctor or something. And then last September I had a bit of a nasty do on my way to Marjorie's in Halifax. I couldn't remember the way and the sat-nav wasn't working, needed charging I think and I drove round and round for ages and I didn't recognise anywhere even though I'd been many times. 
So, in the end, I just followed signs to Keithley and came home. And that was it for me with driving. Anyway, Marjorie can get on a bus to see me. I don't see why it always has to be me making the effort just because she doesn't drive. She hasn't, though. Julie thinks I should get rid of my car and get taxis just because I've had a couple of mishaps. Could have happened to anyone. It's not because I'm a bit older. She doesn't know about Halifax and I'm not giving her any more ammunition. I've always been a good driver. No accidents. Well, apart from when I went into the back of a course uh, a year or so ago. But it wasn't my fault. Silly beggar just stood still when she should have been moving. How was I to know there were some temporary lights there? I once jumped some lights. <laughs> it was a couple of years ago now, and I just nipped through because I was late for my hair appointment. Got stopped by a handsome young copper. But I did what I've always done, smiled and fluttered my eyelashes. I never go out without mascara. In fact, I never go out without full makeup and my favourite perfume. And that did the trick. Let me off with a friendly warning. I know those feminists don't approve, but I see nothing wrong in using what God gave you. And in my case, that's good looks, among other things. Back in the 50s, people said I looked like that singer, Alma Cogan. In fact, I was mistaken for her on my honeymoon in Italy. Only got rumbled when I was asked to give them a song in the hotel bar. <laughs> mm. I miss male attention now my gym's gone. There's no one worth flirting with at the golf club. Not that I go anymore. It's too far for me to walk and I could fall and break my hip and we all know what comes next. <laughs> I've got one of those personal alarms now, the ones you hang round your neck on a piece of thick ribbon like a referee. It's not very stylish. Health visitors suggested it. I haven't told Julie for fear she'll take it as further evidence I should be in home. My Lynn knows because I'd left it on the kitchen worktop last time she was here, but I asked her to keep quiet. I don't need it. Lynn knows that. I only agreed to it to keep the health visitor happy so she can count me as one of her independents. I take it up with me at bedtime, but I don't wear it. I don't want to turn over in bed and find I've strangled myself with it. No one would thank me for that. I pulled up outside Mum's house to find a police car and a fire engine parked up next to Lynn's Land Rover. Why she needs that in the leafy lanes of Staffordshire, I don't know. I suppose she thinks of herself as one of those yummy mummies. What's going on? I asked her. I dialed 999 and asked if this was an emergency, she said, and they said it is and sent the police who bashed the door down. I looked over and saw Mum's lovely front door with its farrow and ball imperial purple paint like a smashed cabbage. Is she okay? 
She's trapped in the separate toilet, Lynn squeaked. A nice policeman is talking to her, but she can't get up and she's blocking the door. That's why the fire brigade's here. They're going to remove the window to get her. I glanced at the ladder up at the toilet window and spotted a couple of youths in the driveway with electric guitars around their necks. Who are they? Oh, they're from over the road. They were rehearsing in their garage. Saw the police rock up and came to see if they can help. I said, what are they going to do? Play Bohemian Rhapsody? I was shaking now. We'll fetch you a brew and some bickies, called one as they left the drive. I mumbled thanks and then dashed to the front door to get a sighting of my mum who didn't even recognise me as they stretched her out. What are they playing at, Julie and Lynn? They should be at school. I've washed and ironed their uniforms for them, but here they are in Mufti, sitting drinking tea. Get to school! Oh, I feel sleepy. I had a funny dream. At least I think it was a dream. I was trapped in the closet. But not the sort that Rock Hudson was trapped in. The water closet. Must have gone there in the night and tripped or passed out. I don't eat enough, that's the problem. Of course, I didn't have my alarm with me. I keep it on the bedside table. Must have fallen asleep and next thing I know, a man in a hard hat burst through my toilet window and hoists me up. Then a lady policeman pushed the door open, led me to the landing. <laughs> nice looking fireman. <laughs> Wish I'd had my lippy on. Lippy on? She didn't even have her knickers on. Nor the alarm round her neck, for God's sake. But... Typical of my mother to cause such a drama. How many octogenarians do you know who have to be rescued by two firemen, a couple of police, three paramedics and a rock band? She kept asking for dad in those last days in hospital and saying she wanted to go home. I knew what that meant. I said, have you had enough, mum? And she took my hand in her dry liver spotted one. My little girl, she said. You look wrong side out. Stop worrying. I'm fine. I love you. I know you think I don't, but I do. Are there any naughty cakes? And she shut her eyes and drifted off. I kissed her forehead and whispered, I love you too. Do you want a vanilla slice? Or a green puff? Wrong Side Up was written by Janice Fryatt and starred Jean Rogers as Betty and Janice Fryatt as Julie. The producer was Ashley Byrne. The episode was edited by Mark Burrows. Generation Games is an original concept by Ashley Byrne. The name is by Martin Hancock. The Generation Games monologues and duologues are MIM productions for distinct nostalgia. More than a podcast.
Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM, and if you like what we do, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you. Go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button. Thank you. On Distinct Nostalgia this Christmas. We're back in fictional Fulchester as we celebrate the 50th birthday of Crown Court with a special documentary. We all had such a good laugh. It was lovely, but it was very serious. The jury are picked off the street on the day. I must have done it too well because they thought I was real. You didn't know what the outcome was going to be because, you know, so they were ready to film two different endings, whatever the jury decision was. It was great. It was edgy. As ITV plans to pay tribute to our Nolly, we've an exclusive as we hear the very last interview with Crossroads creator Hazel Adair. I had the feeling that a motel was something that not many people knew about but was very popular in America, of course. And things that are popular in America catch on over here. So I thought, well, let's try that. We're remembering Ruth Maddock with an interview never heard before on her memories of Heidi High. And this camp, goodness knows when it was built, it was dreadful. In fact, it was so awful that the BBC, to actually film, used to tart it up. And the chalets weren't very good, believe you me. They were dreadful. <laughs> There's new and original comedy drama with our latest Generation Games episode. Emmerdale legend Jean Rogers stars in Wrong Side Out by Janice Fryatt. I once jumped some lights. <laughs> it was a couple of years ago now and I just nipped through because I was late for my hair appointment. Got stopped by a handsome young copper. But I did what I've always done, smiled and fluttered my eyelashes. I never go out without mascara. In fact, I never go out without full makeup and my favourite perfume. And the Distinct Nostalgia Mind of the Month quiz is back as we enter the new year. Dermot Morgan played who? Did he play Father Ted Criley, Father Ted Crilly, or Father Ted Crowley? I'm surprised there's not um, Father Ted Curley in there, which the uh, author keeps getting his, uh, his name wrong in one of the episodes, uh, but it's Father Ted Crilly. It is, yes. All to come on Distinct Nostalgia this Christmas. Distinct Nostalgia, more than a podcast. <laughs>